Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of The Stone Table. My name is Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Baylife Church. And I'm Mickey, and I am a worship arts coordinator here at Baylife. And this is the 45th time we've tried to record the introduction. <laughs> it is. It is. You guys, it's so hard to stage a conversation. Yeah. We, we keep trying to not stage it, and then we end up repeating if, what we said the last yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. This is way harder than it might seem. I mean, we, we try to keep it real. Yeah. So this is us keeping it real. Yeah. We've uh, tried to record this five times already. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're going to see if this is the one in which we actually make it through to the interview yes, itself. Yes. Yes. But we are so excited about today's episode. Travis, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about our guest? Yeah. So we are talking with a friend of ours named Samuel. Samuel is somebody who we support through the missions department of Baylife Church, yes. specifically his work that he does with refugees and Muslims overseas. That's kind of his area of evangelism. Um, but this interview is kind of hard to categorize. It's it part, is. It's part it's biography. It's it's part crash course in Islamic mm-hmm. theology. The, this is something that I think you'll find interesting in Samuel's story. He wanted to understand how to share the gospel with Muslims, but he didn't understand what Muslims believed, and so he just signed up for the Islamic equivalent of a seminary. Right. So he was the only Christian in this Islamic seminary, and, and he did this all with the intention of sharing the gospel, but also understanding where they were coming from. So you're going to hear a little bit of that. You're going to hear a little bit of his story. It's it's hard to nail this episode down. It's so many things. Yeah, but I think that's part of what makes it so interesting and really special. I mean, it was a privilege to get to know him. And I think that even though his reality may look a little bit different than ours in Western culture, but there's so much wisdom and so much to learn from Christians around the world who are dealing with other things and, and other beliefs and, and other systems. And, and I think, too, that we find ourselves sometimes immersed in, in a, whether it's a class or um, and just a project or something where people are involved where your beliefs are the minority, where th- there's other beliefs that we have to learn in order to evangelize to. Yeah. So I think there, there's a lot of wisdom in, in learning from, um, from Samuel's experience. experience. Yeah. yeah. I think what I love so much about it is that he found himself surrounded by people that he wanted to share the gospel with. Yeah. And he took them seriously enough to understand where they were coming from mm-hmm. so that he could speak the gospel in a way that made sense to them. Right. To speak their language to say it's like yeah, yeah. understanding which understanding how to best communicate the gospel in their context. Right. Yeah. And so I think that even though this deals specifically with those who are coming from a Muslim background and understanding where they're coming from so we can speak the truth about Jesus, I think this approach is important because we're always yes. going to be surrounded by friends and neighbors and coworkers and classmates that we don't agree with. Exactly. And part of loving them is knowing mm. where they're coming from right. so that we can lead them to Jesus. So for all these reasons, I am super excited about this episode. Yes. So with that being said, please enjoy this episode with our friend Samuel. For Bay Life Church, I'm Mickey. And I'm Travis. And this is The Stone Table. Samuel, thank you so much for sitting down to talk with us on the show. I got to hang out with you a couple years ago and get to know a little bit of your story. And we as a church have partnered with you and your ministry over the last several years. But for our listeners, uh, I would love for them to just know a little bit about how you came to be interested in in the topics that you are and doing the ministry you are. So maybe let's begin at the beginning. Just, just tell us a little bit about 
uh, growing up. How is it that you became a Christian? How did you start to begin to think about topics of theology and engagement with Muslims? Well, I was always looking for God my whole life. Um, I even had a relationship with a God of my own understanding. And through several different people, circumstances, and searching, at 23, I became a follower of Jesus. At the time, I thought Christianity meant all in or all, or all out. Later on, I found out that a lot of Christians only uh, live Christian 20, 30, 40%. <laughs> um, so my deal was either everything or nothing. So when I committed to the Lord, I really wanted to know a lot and I wanted to go deep. And um, the natural next step was to study theology. Okay. And so I enrolled and started taking classes online, a little bit here, a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then because I was the guy that was always asking questions about, is it true? What about right. dinosaurs? <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's right. going on here? Um, I focused on apologetics and answering qu- uh, questions that atheists, new agers have about Christianity. Okay, yeah. And and we were going to ask, so how did you go from having a degree in apologetics and studying the Bible and to studying Islamic theology? I've actually, um, through the back door. Okay. So what happened was um, I moved to a predominantly Muslim country and um, I realized I don't understand anything about what people believe. Mm-hmm. In fact, interestingly enough, I read as a warm-up a couple hundred books on Islam. A couple hundred as a wow. warm-up? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> no big deal, just a couple How hundred. How long did you have to warm up? I, that That's would, about a year. You oh, know? Okay. I, okay, yeah, if you're yeah. really committed, yeah. Yeah, day and a half, two days <laughs> per book. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, I, uh, I feel ashamed. Uh, no, you don't need to. These, these are easy books uh, because they all repeat themselves, actually. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, there's about 90% of the material just overlaps in most of those books. Mm. And then you get to this country... And you start talking to people and you're like, whoa, you believe this. And they're like, no, I actually don't. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so after a while, I realized, okay, these books are not reflective of reality. I need to get to the bottom of what these people actually believe. Mm-hmm. So, And it would be also good in order to communicate the gospel better. So I, I, I want to uh, speak and I want to be heard. I don't want to be talking over people's heads. So... My understanding is that you you actually studied too in in a seminary context. You were taught theology by Muslims. Is that true? And yep. can you kind of fill us in on that? I a little figured, bit? you know, if um, the perspective I'm getting is uh, less than accurate, uh, then I will go to their theological seminary. So I just enrolled, took five years of Arabic, um, took classes, sat in a classroom with thirty seminary students, <laughs> so to say. Mm. Islamic seminary students, and I was the only Christian out of 600 students on campus. Wow! And yeah, we were we were going to ask what what was it like to be the only Christian on campus. I mean, I imagine <laughs> it was fantastic. Really? I was treated so well. Um, the hospitality was amazing. Okay, I kept getting free books. <laughs> People tried to convert me. Oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> um, but in a nice way, not pushy or anything, just with kindness and uh, hospitality and generosity. And I even got interviewed for TV, radio. What, why are you here? What are you doing? I just basically said, I want to understand. Yeah. I want to understand what people really uh, believe and compare it to my own faith. And I was an open Christian there. Wow. Okay. So that is, I think, such an incredible thing to do. I 
we were talking earlier and I mentioned that I went to USF when I did my undergraduate degree and it was in religion. And so it was being taught by people who largely didn't believe mm-hmm. Christianity or Buddhism or Islam or whatever religion Surprised they were teaching. you didn't lose your faith. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it was, it was challenging and it, and it led to greater challenges after I got out of college. Um, mm-hmm. But what consistently happened when I was being taught Christianity by people who didn't believe it is I would sit in the classroom and say, that's not what I believe. Mm-hmm. You're teaching this with like an authority, but, but as a Christian, you're just wrong about that. And so I got a sense as a Christian in the classroom that it really is important to not learn what other people believe from people who don't believe it, but to actually go to the source and say, what do you believe? So there's a sense in which... That, that's kind of how we love our neighbors well, is by taking what they believe seriously, especially when we disagree with it. Um, did you see it as kind of a way of loving your neighbors and, and honoring people? Or how, how did you kind of view the, the whole process? Um, I wasn't necessarily thinking in terms of loving my neighbor um, or honoring them. Um, uh, obviously, those were side effects mm-hmm. and part of the motivation. But my ultimate goal was I want to see how I can connect the gospel to yeah. their right. lives. Yeah. Right. Um, so I wanted to make sure I can communicate and, uh, but also understand because I do think that when we understand human beings, it's honoring to God. Um, and so I was on a quest to, um, finally get into the soul of this thing. And, um, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask, as the only Christian in this community, how did you stay grounded? Was it, were you connected with a church or a community group? I'm sure that's a unique experience, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, being the only Christian in a predominantly Muslim country mm-hmm. or uh, um, school setting, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask how, how you found ways to stay grounded in, in your Christian faith. Barely. Yeah. Okay. There, was a, there were a couple of small churches there, but okay. they were very dysfunctional. Hmm. And uh, there was not a lot of juice, um, not a lot of uh, yeah, substance, substance, right. encouragement really through the church. In fact, I'd find myself de-cur- discouraged. <laughs> um, I was like, man, you guys, you have the Holy Spirit and uh, my Muslim friends do not. And um, I feel more comfortable over there than I do in church. Mm. What's going on? We're missing here something. So mm. sometimes going from a long night uh, hanging out in the mosque on saturday night to church on sunday was not an improvement of the situation Mm. (laughs) that's just reality um and so that was not necessarily always a good thing encouraging thing Mm. in fact made me ask a lot of questions about church and what we need in church and what are we not doing um what could we be doing and why are we not using um the gifts that god has given us Mm. That's that's another story. Um, but how uh, did I find encouragement? Um, primarily, um, Mickey, you would understand that through worship. So yeah. I would I would mm-hmm. find a good song or two, and then uh, my morning time was connecting um, to the transcendent through worship. That's the toe for me into the into the heavenlies, yeah. and then just sure. spending some time in the presence of God. So that was one way to to be encouraged. Um, the other one is just the fact that I'm a thousand percent convinced that Jesus is the way. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, no matter how much beauty I saw in Islam, um, it is still just a shadow of the sunshine of God yeah. right. through Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's really important what you said about making that time in the morning mm-hmm. to connect with God and, and being intentional about that time, yeah. especially when you're not plugged into a community, because I feel like that happens here too. It, you know, it's, it's very easy for people to be, feel isolated when they're not a part of a community of people who believe the same thing as mm-hmm. them. So yeah. being intentional about our time with the Lord and, you know, seeking his face is, is so important. And, and I think you're right. That, that that is a great way to be encouraged in times like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It really I, helps. I, I was even thinking about when I was studying kind of the spectrum of religions doing an undergraduate degree, which is obviously very different. What I what I came to to see and what I came to believe is exactly what you said. Like all no matter what good or noble things we see in other faiths, the 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 power of the gospel mm-hmm. is something that I was just so so convinced of by the end of all of my questions and all my doubts mm-hmm. and the beauty of the gospel. It, it was something where I, I just, I looked at the other face and I said, if I could even just pick, mm-hmm. like if I could lay them all out and say, I get to pick which one is true. Mm-hmm. This is the one I want to be true mm-hmm. um, because of just the elegance of the story and the way that it, ex- it explains reality. So there is something about having that confidence in, in the truth of the gospel that enables us to engage with other people other faiths in a way that's that's not afraid and doesn't shy away uh, and can really engage with them knowing hey what what we believe about Jesus is true mm-hmm. and we don't need to be scared to talk to people who don't believe that mm-hmm. so how did you develop that confidence I guess well uh, that's very good Travis I think that people are afraid and they always ask me hey um, aren't you afraid you're gonna I don't know deny Christ or become a Muslim or something like that. Um, and, um, and you studied religion, you studied different faiths. And um, I find it actually a faith strengthener to study other uh, faiths, other religions. Um, you really um, begin to see Christianity from different angles uh, in comparison to other uh, religions. Yeah. And for me, it was actually an enrichment mm. um, and I became more and more thankful mm. that I have the privilege of knowing Jesus. Um, and I don't, don't think that I would be as convinced of its veracity if I was only a, a, within a Christian bubble, yeah. mm. actually going outside of that and testing my faith um, against other religions and worldviews made it more beautiful, um, uh, more incredible. Yeah. Because there's just nothing out there like it. And Absolutely. so... Um, I would say for those uh, listeners who are um, afraid to uh, step outside of their safety net, mm-hmm. um, don't be afraid. You you have nothing um, to be ashamed of, and it only can enrich your thankfulness for Jesus. Yeah, we we actually just did a podcast interview yesterday <coughs> with a friend of ours, Elisa Childers, who does apologetics, and one of the things that she was talking about with parenting is that so often parents are afraid that their kids are going to encounter an idea that's contrary to the gospel. Mm. And so they shelter their kids mm. and they try and protect them from these ideas rather than saying, Hey, what let's, let's interact with this idea. What's wrong with it. How does the gospel critique it? How does it speak to this? And she talked about even with like Disney movies, you know, mm. that there's all these ideas in Disney movies that may be contrary to the gospel of Jesus. And 
she she mentioned that she knew some parents who just wouldn't let their kids watch the movies. Right. And she said the better approach is to watch the movie with your kid and say, right. hey, where is this wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, where is this mistaken? And, and I think the same thing is, is true when we encounter people of other faiths. We don't have anything to be afraid of mm-hmm. as Christians if we have the sort of confidence in the gospel mm-hmm. that, that we ought to. And sometimes we don't, and sometimes we need to build our faith. But we have nothing to lose by interacting with those who don't believe in Jesus and, and everything to gain in the hopes that they will believe in Jesus mm-hmm. and that we will see with with greater clarity the, the beauty of what we believe. Right. And there's so much out there that we see in everything and in, in everything that we ingest. There's so much that contradicts the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's other faiths or cultural lies, there, there's so many things out there that through understanding where the root of these things are coming from and knowing how to engage with them Mm -hmm. without compromising what we believe is Mm -hmm. so important. And I think that, you know, having an understanding of those things, whether it's other faiths or or just things that we see everywhere around us, Mm -hmm. but being able to maintain, uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, convicted to what we know is true. So Mm -hmm. I think that, it's it's important as we as we engage with other religions, other yeah. faiths, other lifestyles, you know. Yeah, but uh, I agree with you 100. percent I would just uh, add one more thing, which is a posture of learning and curiosity mm-hmm. and discovery of um, things that you might not expect in other faiths that are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not just coming to this table saying. I'm right and I have all the answers. Let me tell you about what I believe. Um, I'm coming to the to the table saying, I'm a thousand percent convinced the gospel is true. Yeah. And the core elements are undeniably amazing and untouchable by any other worldview. But there's a lot of things that um, I can learn from you as well. Mm. New angles, um, new emphasis, if emphases that I've not known about. And... Um, I've learned a lot from Muslims um, about certain elements of theology that's uh, within the Christian faith has been um, neglected. It's there, sure, but in our Western context, we no longer emphasize. Uh, we say it, but we don't emphasize, for example, the sovereignty of God. Sure, mm. yeah. A Muslim is like God is super sovereign, and everything that happens is under His control. Mm. They take it too far, but nevertheless, their, their principles and that stance the awe of God that is uh, neglected uh, in the Western church. Um, And so I learned a little bit about that and many other things I could list. The embodiment of faith, how they pray is um, obviously legalistic because it's one way for them to get to heaven, but their body postures themselves are very enriching. And I think uh, Christianity in the West has neglected the body. Um, And there's a cry for um embodiment we want to use our bodies more uh, people you know we want to not just listen to a sermon with our heads we want to also uh, incorporate literally into our body our faith yeah so those are things that small things that i learned along the way sure yeah Yeah. i I do think that that's helpful and i know that one of the things that that drove you to even study islamic theology was that the, the way that you had understood what Muslims believed was not true to what they actually believed. And, and that comes, again, to this posture of humility that when we engage with those who don't believe the gospel, we don't engage with them to go, here's what you think, mm-hmm. listen to me, mm-hmm. but, but to ask, what, what do you think? Mm-hmm. What do you believe? Mm-hmm. 
uh, help me understand. like there's probably a lot of misconceptions here in the States about what Muslims believe, kind of like what you encountered where you said, man, I thought I understood, but, mm-hmm. but I really didn't. What, what would you say some of the most common misconceptions that you encounter here in America are regarding Muslims and what they believe? There's uh, several ways to answer that question. Let's just start with a number. Uh, there's 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. Mm. <laughs> Do you know how huge that number is? Right. I'll never have that much money. For it's, sure. a lot, <laughs> it's a huge number. It's about 340 million Americans. Wow. And 1.8 billion. So per one American, there's about five Muslims in the world mm. times five. So it's a huge number. Yeah. And if you say Muslims believe X, you're immediately wrong. That's true. Mm. Yeah, that's it's absolutely an, fair. Impossible to say that. Yeah. Obviously, uh, humans need to um, create structures and systems of um, interpretation. So you, we have to say, okay, well, there's some things that we can say Muslims believe, and we can. Otherwise, it would be too crazy. <laughs> um, so there are certain um, pillars of faith that people have heard about, the five pillars, the fasting, the prayer, the pilgrimage, the giving of alms, and so, so on. There's uh, six um, statements of faith that Muslims believe in. They believe in angels. They believe in holy books. They believe in prophets. They believe in the oneness of God. All that stuff you can pick up in any book. Mm-hmm. You pick up any book, you look up Islamic doctrine, theology, you'll find these things, and they will keep repeating themselves. So if you read one book, you read 100. That's how you read 100 books yeah, in, right. in one well, year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> So it's, it's just repetitive stuff, and you can pretty much learn the basics uh, in 10 minutes online. Nothing, no surprise there. You'll probably run into the word jihad. Um, you know, oh, wow, uh, swords and bombs and terrorism and all that stuff. So you'll hear that as well. Look up the word jihad, and you'll see it has four meanings instead of just one. Mm. Right. And uh, so on and so forth. Um, and so you can learn quickly about these uh, interesting terms that um, we throw around, and they're all true. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the, the thing, the fundamental uh, mistake that we make is that we, um, in the West, the way our minds have been shaped through Judeo-Christian values, mm-hmm. uh, Greco-Roman philosophy, the Enlightenment, uh, we transpose that way of viewing the world upon an Eastern mindset from a religion that came from the East and was born there and was developed from there. What do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. I mean by that this. Christianity, as you know from your MDiv studies, has had a good 1,500 years of councils and debates on how do we formulate our Christian doctrines Mm -hmm. and what is is the Spirit sent from the Father and the Son or just the Son or what's going on and who's sending the Spirit... And now let's fight this out for 1,500 years. How do we formulate our doctrines? Um, We are a creedal religion. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you believe? Confess with your mouth. uh, Believe in your heart. 
it's very, very much uh, important to us to formulate our thoughts, our thinking, and our theology. Um, and so when you ask a Christian, what makes you a Christian? He will answer, I believe this, this, and that. Right. That is fundamentally different in Islam. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That is why uh, we are talk- talking about uh, above each other's heads. We mm. don't understand mm. that Islam is not a creedal religion. Mm. Okay. That is a misunderstanding. Islam is a religion that is lived. Yeah. So to be a Muslim doesn't mean you believe in Allah. It means you are doing something. Mm. You wake up in the morning at 4.30 and you do a uh, 12-minute prayer. Then you go take a quick nap. Then you go to work. Then you do another prayer around noon, uh, which is a little longer, 13 minutes, let's say. Then you uh, go back to work, and then at 4 o'clock you do another prayer, and so on and so forth, and that uh, happens five times in that day. When you ask him, what makes you a Muslim? He says, I go to the mosque. I pray. I fast in Ramadan. I am saving money so I can go to Mecca. Mm. That's what Mm. makes me a Muslim. Do you believe in Allah? Yeah, yeah. It's one God and Muhammad is his prophet. What else? Mm, I try to be a good person. You know, so in other words, um, it's very much uh, important to Muslims. Uh, Their identity uh, of faith is what they do, how they live their lives. Totally different from Christians. A Christian can be like, you know, I believe in Jesus and all that stuff, but I kind of live my life how I want to. Right. right. Yeah, which gets back to your experience when you first became a Christian. Right. Where you thought it was 100% and everybody else was 20 or 30%. Mm. <laughs> Man. Yeah. If I would known it was, you could do it at 40%, I'd probably become a Christian sooner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the apostles would agree with you. I agree. Right. I agree with they that. They wouldn't be on so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they like, I like the way that you did it better yeah. than the standard. So that, that brings up something interesting for me. I... I had to write a paper for a seminary engaging with a different religion and how would you how would you engage in a dialogue and evangelism with with somebody of a different faith and I just picked the one that I could find the least information about which mm. was which was Wicca mm. Um, mm. and so th- th- like I was really excited about the paper like we have a, a stack of books in our apartment we have like the we wi- have a Wiccan Bible in our mm. apartment yeah I've got it's for research purposes only sure, sure, yeah. sure. just <laughs> clarifying yeah I've got all these <laughs> all these spell books and things like that that I was reading and but it was really difficult to figure out okay how do I in- engage somebody with the gospel coming from this perspective mm-hmm. because it, it like your experience with Islam it is so different from Christianity it's it's not creedal mm-hmm. there's no stated set of beliefs there there's not even a singular holy book mm-hmm. there's truth is is really kind of a matter of opinion between okay. person and person mm-hmm. and so i felt like i think it's probably one of the worst papers i've ever written mm-hmm. cuz i couldn't figure out what to what to do so i wonder for for Christians who who have Muslims in their life or listeners who who have neighbors and friends that they they want to share the gospel with and and they want to to love and care for well how how do how do we go about that what because it is so different we're coming from a different perspective of faith are there are there any and any things that we can kind of learn from your experience anything that you've learned and how to engage with that well um, I hope uh, this uh, image will be helpful to you. It costs $150,000. So pay attention. So I'm going to paint a picture for you that's worth $150,000. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. 
picture a huge triangle. On top of the triangle is a teeny itty bitty circle. Okay, then mm -hmm. picture next to that a huge circle, mm -hmm. and underneath it is a teeny triangle. So big triangle, small circle, tiny triangle, huge circle. We're in geometry right now. We're in geometry. I'm, yeah. I'm not doing good. All right, we're not doing good. <laughs> it's just four shapes. The big triangle <laughs> and the tiny, tiny circle, that's, uh, uh, that's a Muslim. Okay. The triangle is his body. The circle is his head. Okay. The tiny uh, triangle and the huge circle is a Christian. Mm -hmm. So the tiny triangle is his body. The huge circle is his head. So Christians live their Christianity um, primarily in their head. Mm. Huge head, tiny body. Mm. Muslims live their religion primarily in the body. Tiny head, huge body. It took me 10 years to figure that out. Oh, wow. That's why it's $150,000 because right. that's how much school <laughs> Your degree costs. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <clears throat> yes. Wow. Okay. So the point I'm trying to make without confusing you, Travis, with uh, geom complicated <laughs> geometry of yeah, triangles you, and circles. You, you're bringing it back to my level at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the point is uh, body, body, body is very important in one religious worldview. Um, head, 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 intellect, thinking, mm. creeds is very important in the other one. We neglect the body. Okay. But what I want to say is there was a study done um, by Dudley Woodbury in, in uh, California, a famous uh, Muslim expert guy. Uh, he's now a professor emer emeritus. And he basically did interviews with hundreds and hundreds of Muslims. How do they come to the Lord? Mm. So people who got saved. And he asked them basically the question, what were the factors? What were the main reasons why you believed in Jesus? Why did you convert? Okay, so those were the ones that might be helpful to to the listener. Yeah, and the, he uh, narrowed it down to four, four common denominators of Muslim conversion. Number one, um, they were exposed to um, an incredibly loving God. The message of an incredible, incredibly loving God. Years ago, a guy wrote a book called "I Dared to Call Him Father." Mm. Mm. That was a Muslim who got saved. I dare to call him father. So uh, they learned about, about a God who's incredibly loving. I could veer off here and give you um, a perspective on Muslim theology about how they view God and how the imminence of God becoming man and loving us through his uh, son dying on a cross is just un unfathomable for yeah. most people and especially Muslims. But anyway, the, uh, the fact that there's a loving God out there is is profound was, was a big player big, big reason for muslims to get saved that's number one number two very very important a loving christian mm. Mm. hardly ever do you hear of a conversion story that is uh, um, outside of a relationship with a christian so almost all muslims said some christian poured their life into my life yeah so, loving god loving christian Third factor was always the scriptures. Opening up that book is somehow or another very, very important. It's almost like God inspired it. Something like it's that. It's almost like that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> so obviously, if you try to do that with a Muslim, they'll say, well, that book is corrupt. Um, Christians and Jews changed it. Um, but nevertheless, there's bridges you can build and say, well, even your Quran says that the Christians and Jews do have the word of God. So... Even if it was corrupted, there's still truth in it. Let's discover the truth together. So there's an easy way to actually 
convince outside of a really radical Muslim, most Muslims to say, okay, well, let's look at it. Mm. And so opening up that book is the third factor that all Muslims say. Reading that book was just unbelievable. Mm. Um, it's just so different and profound. Mm. And the fourth reason why Muslims came to the Lord is a miracle. Yeah, mm. It is a um, healing, a vision, a dream, something like that. So three out of four things we can do. We can um, expose them to a loving God. We can love them ourselves. We can open the scriptures with them. And uh, we can't do the fourth one. So right. mm-hmm. three out of four we can do. The fourth one is um, to pray. The, <laughs> the Lord uh, yeah. breaking in. Um, but those were the four common denominators w- that Muslims mentioned brought them to the Lord. Wow. Um, so th- this just brings to mind something that I would love to get your take on, especially with that last point, the miraculous. I've I've heard, especially in the Middle East, that increasingly there are Muslims converting to Christianity because they're having dreams and and visions of Jesus. H- have you looked into that at all? Have you encountered people who've yep. experienced that? Yeah, I have. So um, I want to say two things. Um, first thing is Muslims and dreams and conversion. Um, God will use whatever language he can uh, for whatever culture or worldview to communicate his love for them. Mm. Dreams happen to be something that most people don't understand and I didn't understand for many years. It's actually a form of communication in Islam. Mm. So a Muslim, because he can't directly communicate to God most of the time, there's nuances to that as well, but a normal Muslim is like, how do I communicate with Allah? How do I hear from him? What do I do? Well, in Islamic theology, what you do is you wake up between the last prayer of the day and the first prayer of the next day. You wake up in that time frame, which is usually somewhere between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. So you wake up during that time. You wash yourself. You uh, get on your uh, uh, knees and you do your prayer. You do two um, bowing ceremonies. Then you say your prayer request, Lord Help me to see uh, what I should do about this job or is my kid going to do good in school or should I marry this woman? Tell me, what should I do? Then they go to sleep after that. Hmm. And the idea is in that sleep state, before they wake up, Allah will communicate to them. Okay. So they're actually using dreams as a form of communication to the divine. Therefore, they're receptive to it. Sure. And so Jesus is like, I'm using that. And I'm going to show up in their dreams and I'm going to tell them that I love them and that I am the path to life. Wow. That's really cool. So I know a lot of people don't know that, but that's why God uses dreams. Right. In other cultures or worldviews, he'll use whatever they're they're looking for and how they're open and receptive to listening to the divine. Um, What's Mm -hmm. important for the listener to hear especially with the news and with everything that's happening. Mm. Um, and, and also this question about uh, God um, breaking through into the Islamic world. Um, there have been more Muslims that have come to faith in the last 20 years than in the previous 1,400 combined. Wow. wow. 20 that's years, the last 1,400 combined. In Iran... There was a handful of um, of believers twenty years ago. For example, I have uh, on the ground sources and um, reliable numbers of um, anywhere between one to one point five million 
believers, born again Christians, followers of Jesus in Iran in the last 20 years. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's a million people. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they're conservative numbers. Um, so I just want to say to the listener, <clears throat> God is very, very much at work uh, in the Muslim world and something is happening. Uh, there's books on, on the topic. One is famous called The Fresh Wind in the House of Islam by David Garrison. You okay. probably know him. Yeah, I'm familiar with him. Yeah, he wrote the CPM book, Church Planning Movements book. Mm -hmm. uh, every uh, missions agency is required reading. So, yeah. mm -hmm. so he wrote one called The Fresh Wind um, in the House of Islam. So in the last 20 years, more Muslims have come to the Lord um, than in the previous 1,400 combined. Wow. So tell us about the work that you do now. I We understand that you teach in Germany. So can you tell us about what it is you're doing currently? Um, sure. I am um, a professor who is um, working with young seminary students. I coach, mentor, disciple, and teach them on how to take the gospel forward in uh, the Western European context. And with um, the recent um, immigration influx of millions of Muslims mm -hmm. coming to Europe, it is a fantastic time to be um, doing this job. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So for our listeners who have probably heard some really incredible pieces of information that we didn't know before, so mm -hmm. we want to thank you for sharing all that valuable uh, insight and experience. So for those of us who are hearing this and, and we're intrigued and we, and we want to support your work, what's the best way for us to support you? Is it through prayer? Is it through keeping up with you? What, what are some ways? I have um, experienced uh, firsthand, um, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, every other way possible, the um, real effect um, of prayer. Um, right. Literally, the difference between going into a mosque when somebody's praying for you and going to the mosque when you're just going by yourself is night and day. Mm. So, and I've done it long enough to, to realize prayer is not just empty words, uh, but it's actually effective and powerful. And uh, so prayer would be definitely a, a wonderful thing. Um, you can talk to Bay Life about that. <laughs> um Obviously, we are also um, uh, supported by churches and individuals. If you want information on how to support us through finances, you can also okay. contact Baylife. Awesome. Um, we're totally living by faith, and God has provided fully. And um, yeah, I think those would be the two areas uh, where you can support us. Awesome. I, if I had to pick one of the two, I'd pick prayer. Yeah. Samuel, thank you so much for yes. sitting down to talk with us. We've so enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, you guys are great. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Stone Table. If you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have, please rate and subscribe and tell your friends about us. And also, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got any questions or topics that you would like to hear discussed, please shoot us an email at thestonetable at baylife.org. For Baylife Church, I'm Mickey, and this is The Stone Table.
Did you? Can you hear my chair creaking in your ears? Maybe I'll do it again. No, no, no. It's fine. It, it makes us authentic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool.